Hey everyone, welcome to 11 Questions, where each week we meet a new person and get to know them. I'm your host Amantiwana, and today we are meeting an American author, Leah Schwartz. Let's get to know her with 11 Questions. Hi Leah, welcome to 11 Questions. Hi, thanks for having me. I want to start by asking, are you a morning person or a night owl? Well, I used to be a night owl until I got a dog. <laughs> I was the biggest night owl on the planet, and then my dog... She will not have it. So she gets me into bed at night, and then she wakes me up to go for a morning walk. So <laughs> I think that's a very useful tip. If I want to change my ways, I should probably get a dog. <laughs> Basically, nothing else did it. I used to stay up all night just whenever I was free of obligations. I would naturally stay up all night. And not anymore, man. My brain just <laughs> checked out by 10 p.m. I'm like a bag of flour. It's the first time in my life I've ever gotten, I'm looking at her, um, gotten a lot of sleep. And I can thank her because she is adamant that it is time for a walk. And of course, I worry about her. I don't want her to have to wait to walk. So it's that bond. <laughs> and what's a perfect weekend for you? Since I'm writing full time, a weekend is almost indistinguishable from the weekdays. But during COVID, all I can think of is a weekend in New York would be really nice. It's been so long since I've been anywhere. But a perfect weekend really is a couple of good audiobooks queued up on my phone. Beautiful 70-degree weather so I can walk and listen to the, the audiobooks. And also some clear time in the mornings tonight. So that's, I mean, I don't really expect much more than that. You know, hearing from an old friend or seeing an old friend, that's too much to expect at this point because COVID is crazy. So right now, my favorite my favorite thing for a weekend is just the books. Yeah, a lot of us can relate, I bet. It's just books. <laughs> and that's it. That's the company we that's have now. And what's your favorite place in the entire world? Oh, that's such a hard question. I really liked every place I've lived and most places I've been. But for beauty, I would have to say the west of Ireland is so beautiful. I've been there a few times, and every time I'm there, I just stand in place and stare around like an idiot. Um, so that's that's the most beautiful place. I think the most um, the place I feel the most like myself, or the most uh, you know, it connects me to my youth is New York City, Manhattan, with all of its filth. <laughs> Do you work in a messy place, or you are an organized person? You're not going to be able to see around the uh, computer here. I. I'm organized in, I have method in my madness, but I think from the outside, it's madness. I mean, all of these books actually are organized. They're in, um, divided between fiction, the books behind me, uh, fiction and nonfiction, by author alphabetically, and by subject in the nonfiction. And then there's a reference and a poetry section and even cookbooks. So there, I can organize something if I have a principle to organize it by, but uh, when left to my own devices, I'm a mess. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I've accepted it. I spent a lot of time harassing myself, but I have learned a few things over the years about ridding myself of extraneous items. I can't say I've been successful with the books, but uh, books and bunt pans, I have too many of. But everything else, I'm a little bit pared down. And did you always want to be a writer? Yes. I wrote my first book when I was three years old. I still have it. It was the um, the completely unambitious uh, history of the world, and it began with God creating the the heaven and earth. 
I don't know where I went to a, a Catholic <laughs> school. I was I was in preschool. Um, I got a picture of God was apparently a head on a rock with a beard and a halo, and all the way up until uh, I think just the day before I wrote the book, and um, it had important things in it like Stegosaurus and my sister, uh, the flowers in the garden, and you know I always wanted to tell stories, and I think it's a very hard thing to do. And I think I needed time to start really trying to do it well. I had to read a lot of books and figure out what stories I wanted to tell. But I always wanted to do it. That's awesome. Three-year-old. <laughs> I know. And my mother kept it. She was mad at me because she'd just given me a new tablet. And she was at first, she was really mad when I came to her the next day and said, I'm full. It's all full, Mommy. Can I get a new one? She's like, I just gave that to you. And then she looked at it. She's like, oh, my goodness. You wrote a book. <laughs> And it's like pictures on one side and text on the other. And the the writing is so creative. I spelled sister, S-E-S-D-R. It was very phonetic. I just, you know, my family, they read, you know, I would see them reading. So I thought of it as a thing that people wanted to do. And of course I wanted to write. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know how people, how people live who don't want to tell a story. And I think people tell stories in their own way. So it's not always writing, but it's always been so strong in me. Yeah, and writing probably also takes a lot of other kinds of discipline, right? You can talk to someone and tell stories. It's very different from sitting and writing it in a way that will convey the meaning and the visuals and everything that comes with it. It's very true. And it surprising to me was that I, I read a lot of books before I began to even grasp the concept of story. You know, and one of my mantras is verisimilitude is not the goal. It's one of the the things that you want to achieve on the way to the goal of telling a good story, but it's not the end point. And that took a long time to understand. For me, I had to sort of beat that into my own head because I really wanted to get everything exactly precisely correct. And then I realized I'm not writing a textbook or a manual. So you can take a lot of the, the underbrush out and the reader is left with just the parts that they need to achieve or he needs to enjoy the story. And now when you write your stories, do you follow a routine? I have a time routine. I like to write in the morning. That's when my brain is now fresh. I used to write in the evening. That's not true anymore. But my stories themselves, I don't really have a, I don't write to a pattern. I write as it takes me. And I have a thought. I have an idea of what the story's about. And then I'm writing. And then the really heavy lifting is done in the revision where I'm sorting out what really belongs and what doesn't and taking the stuff out that doesn't belong often clears space for stuff to come that should have been there or needs to be there. It's a very arduous and inefficient process, but it's really fun. And is there something that you find challenging in the whole writing process? Oh my God, everything. <laughs> um, I think the hardest thing for me, not the hardest thing probably ever, but the one I was just thinking of talking about to a friend, is when to introduce backstory in a book, because it requires the reader to pause and it can feel self-indulgent. It can stop the action and uh, forward, you know, the reader wants forward motion because you want to read a story. You want to fall into a book and just keep falling. And you want the author to be skillful enough to insert the information as needed. Every character comes with backstory. Every situation comes with backstory. But when do you, when is a, an author to, to engage the reader is ready for that backstory? And so that's always a challenge. And I find myself pushing it farther and farther off in the story. And it actually works best that way, sort of sprinkling it in around in digestible, easily understood bits. 
Uh, no one really, I don't feel that I want to sit and read and let me tell you this huge flashback of what happened. I'm like, no, tell me the story. I want to read the story. So every time I write the book, um, I encourage and tell it all over again. It never gets easier. Where do you usually find inspiration for your stories? You know, I don't think there's a one place. It's really something that strikes me and sort of wiggles around in my brain for a while. And I use the analogy of a Tootsie Roll, unwrapped Tootsie Roll, a sticky candy in a junk drawer, where it sort of rolls around and picks up all kinds of stuff. And I know it's too crazy, but it's a good analogy, I mean, accurate analogy, because I'll have just a thought and then a lot of other things will accumulate around it. But the thought, like for the last book, it's the thought was um, if a child disappears and then the family's confronted with someone who says he's the child decades later, how do you verify and also what happened? And I just think that that is such an it's such a potentially interesting question that then you you know the readers interested to open the book or I would be as the reader. I always think of myself as the reader first and then tell the rest of the story after that opening question. So all the other stuff, all the other bits crowd in. And if you hit writer's block, how do you work around it? Oh, it's so hard. I did have writer's block for a while because I have a bit of a perfectionist nature. And it was very, very hard for me to leave a messy draft. And I mean, my study may be messy. I mean, there's a cup of tea over there. There's the pencil sharpener. There's like my beer can of compressed air. Like it's not particularly organized. But my draft, I have this need for it to be perfect. And I've gotten over that. But I got over it with the help of software because the ability to put digital stickies onto my draft as I write has helped me because I know I won't miss those. I won't miss that I, that is not the way I wanted to say it or maybe that name isn't correct. As I write, my draft becomes filled with these digital stickies. I highlight a bit of text and just slap a sticky on it. And by the time I'm done, it's thousands and stickies, thousands. And when I revise again, I've gotten I've gotten up to the place where it's about six to seven thousand notes. And they say things like ug or change or fix or cut question mark. And sometimes very complicated stuff. But usually it's very simple just marking it. And when I do my final revision, I'm removing from page one all the way to the end all of the stickies, which is basically making just a thousand choices all the way. And um, if I didn't have that crutch, I don't know that I could get off like the first page because I would be like, this isn't perfect, this isn't perfect, this isn't. But when I have the digital sticky holding the place, I know that I will have to address it. It's just been a wonderful invention for me. Now, for the reader in you, if you were to be deserted on an island, which three books would you pick? Oh my God, that's very difficult. Which three books? Well, they have to be really long. I would probably bring Life After Life by Kate Atkinson because I could read that a thousand times. And I would also like to bring the audio version because that was beautifully read. I probably would, oh, I'd want to bring a David Sedaris book because, and, and again, the audio is really good for that. I like to listen and read and even the same book because you get so much from both. Um, David Sedaris is so funny. And I think there's so many ways to read into his work. Everything is a lot of layers. And the third one, I don't know, maybe a book I've been trying to get to, and I'm that would be this whole shelf here. So maybe there's a there's literally a shelf that's about 
it's a bookcase, it's about four shelves of books that I need to read. So I would pick one of those and I'm not sure which. And for our last question, if you were to pick one interesting life experience to share with us, what would you tell us today? My life experiences are so complicated. It's hard to pick a simple one. I mean, they feel complicated. I think the writer in me always sees all the little parts of it. But because it's no longer a thing, I might share, given time and interest, the story of what it was like to be on call when I was a medical uh, a physician, a resident in training, and how hard that was to be on call for 40 hours in a row. And just, you know, your knowledge base hadn't caught up with the questions being presented to you. How, how scary it was and how important the, the work felt and how I felt pushed to my extremes. So that's a, it's a big experience. I don't think there's any one little experience. Medicine and, and writing have a lot in common for me in that there's a certain perfectionist element to practice medicine properly. I, I believe you, you really have to pay attention to details and be very observant. And the stakes are much, much higher than with writing a story, obviously. But a compulsive person, you know, a person who really cares about the details, can bring that to bear with good effect in both. But there's a lot more sitting down in writing. Yeah. Well, thanks, Liz, for answering all my questions. I want to tell you that I've heard great praise about your latest book, What Could Be Saved. I haven't read it yet, so tell me what's it about. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co. P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. I want to tell you that I've heard great praise about your latest book, What Could Be Saved. I haven't read it yet, so tell me what's it about and how did you come up with the idea and the story for it? It's about an expatriate American family living in Bangkok in 1972, whose eight-year-old son goes missing. And then decades later, when the family is living in America without the missing son, a man appears who claims to be that, that missing boy. And the reader learns, you know, is it Philip? Is it the missing child? If it is, what happened to him? And why hasn't he contacted the family? And also, how, you know, what led up to the disappearance? The story is told in dual timelines between 1972 in Bangkok and 2019 in Washington, D.C. And so the reader learns much more than any one member of the family does about the situation. And how was it like to publish the book during a pandemic? Oh my God, that was so weird. You know, writing is so solitary that it's really fun to connect with other writers, to connect with bookstore owners. I mean, who doesn't love a bookstore? You know, just, and I miss the inside of bookstores. I just miss that. So this book came out in January and it's in hardcover. I mean, it just came out a few days ago in paperback. So its entire life will have been lived during the pandemic. And it, you know, we all thought that certainly the pandemic would be over by the time one of the birds arrived, but nope. It's been great to have Zoom, and I feel very lucky that that technology had sort of become mainstream by the time I was doing events. And, and I also am really grateful to be able to visit book clubs. It's super fun because one of the things that didn't happen before a pandemic, publishing a book, was 
you really didn't get to meet and talk to your readers. The person who reads and enjoys my book is like a person I would really like to talk to. And I'd even, I don't even mind if they yell at me and complain about something because it's always, it's always interesting anybody engaging with my work. So I've had the opportunity to zoom with a lot of book clubs and it's just endlessly fun. So I'm grateful for that, but it has not been the way I would choose to put out, you know, all the fanfare is kind of. Yeah, I can imagine like the book signings, just physically seeing your book in places. Right, and it's just that feeling of celebration before you go back into your hobbit hole and start writing again. <laughs> you, know, you, you want it is fun to get out for a moment. I miss, you know, I don't see my agent that often. She lives in England, but it's fun to take the excuse to, you know, at a an event. I would have made a trip to New York, and it would have felt like a celebration. I feel very, very lucky for what I have not suffered during the pandemic. But in putting out a book during the pandemic, I'll, was just a little bit different. But I still feel incredibly fortunate because, especially during the pandemic, everything is much harder for everybody. I feel like I've had a, a good bit of attention for this book in a way, meaning that you know people have contacted me to do book clubs and bookstores have been really supportive, and I just think that's incredibly precious and so kind. So I'm really grateful for that. And is there a new book that you're working on right now? Yes, I'm working on one that's very different from the last two. Um, the last two were, had a large historical component. And this next one is set in the near future. It's not a pandemic book, but I've been having some difficulty, or I was having some difficulty working out how, you know, how long, long the shadow of the pandemic will reach in my, the world I'm creating, and how far do I need to push the story to get it. I, I wanted to have a significant, and I, I want to, I wanted to, to reflect the pandemic, but I really don't want it to be a pandemic book. So, I mean, we'll we'll see what it turns into, but it's more speculative fiction, and I'm, it's a lot of fun to write. Well, I look forward to seeing it soon. Thank but uh, if listeners want to buy this book um, or previous books, how can they do that? I always recommend IndieBound.org if you're ordering online, because it will go to your lo- local bookstore, and local bookstores are the lifeblood of literate society. They can also get it, they can obviously get it at Amazon or um, order it off the Audible version. Libraries are mostly carrying it too, and I love a library. If you just want to drive by my house, I'll throw one at you. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, they can get it wherever they like and in any format. Well, thank you again for being a guest on my podcast. This was great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Listeners, do check out Leah's book. It looks amazing. And you can also find her on Instagram if you want to reach out to her. I'll meet you again next week with a new guest. Thank you for listening to our conversation today. Hope you enjoyed getting to know our guest as much as I did. You can also watch a video version of this conversation on 11 Questions YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you are listening. And if you like this episode, please leave a 5-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at 11QuestionsPod for more videos and updates. And I'll be back next week with a new guest. Bye!